All right, let's see. Merry Christmas. All right, we are beginning our Advent walk. So this Sunday is supposed to be a Sunday that is celebrating hope, which means I always go and find a prophet. Yay! (laughs) Which I'm going to eventually run out of messianic prophecies if we do this long enough. So hopefully we get to stick around long enough to do this long enough. So remember, as we go through this, though, couple of ground rules. Christmas should not be our number one Christian holiday. Could probably make a legitimate argument it should be number three. I mean, Easter should be number one. And I think I could make a case that Pentecost could probably come ahead, but at least be like 1A, 1B, or, you know, 2A, 2B. What do you think? We'll go with that. So if you are a Christmas person, I jokingly refer to them as Christmas slappies. You just love everything Christmas. Then this is your time of year. Congratulations. We will spend the four Sundays of Advent rejoicing and celebrating. So as we go through, hope, love will be another purple candle, and then joy is the pink one, peace is the purple one, and then the white one. We will get to light the white candle twice this year. I know, we're not going to have to act, because we're going to light it at the Christmas Eve service like we do every other year, and we're going to light it on Christmas again as well. So, oh yeah, just so you know, we aren't big enough to be one of the fancy evangelical churches, so we will be open on Christmas, just so you know. (laughs) You laugh, you laugh, watch the news. There will be a slew of churches this year closed on Christmas, because the acknowledgments will be, and this will be the arguments, I hear these every time Christmas is around a weekend like this, there's not enough money in the offerings to justify turning the lights on. And they want to give people time off to be at home. And I'm like, okay, you could just like show up for a little while. (laughs) So anyway, so just so you know ahead of time, we will be here. And yes, I know that there, if you come from a Presbyterian or a Lutheran background, when I say hope, love, joy, and peace is the order for the Advent candles, you cringe a little bit because there is a more traditional order, and I don't care. I like the fruit of the Spirit order. It makes me it makes me easier for me to remember so I can keep them all straight, so that's the order I go in. And since it's not written in the Bible anywhere, the order I have to go in, no. <laughs> so... We celebrate hope because we have a standard. We celebrate everything that Christ has promised because everything he has promised, he has fulfilled or he will fulfill. And I warned you in Sunday school, if you were in there, we would read this first, Hebrews 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. When you remember that you are saved by grace through faith, that you are putting your trust in the completed works of God and the future works of God. You are looking away from yourself and to him, and you are also being reminded of the perseverance of God. And you know I am very, very big on making sure you remember that it is not you who perseveres, it is God that perseveres in this world. Because let's be honest, if you were God for four minutes, what would you have destroyed by now? (laughs) How much hellfire and brimstone would you have rained down like in the last five and a half minutes? (laughs) You'd be like, everything except about where I'm standing fire. So there you go. So we remember those things as we remember our hope. So shall we dive in? Oh, real quick. No, we have not done the background yet. We're going to do that in a second. We are in Micah chapter five. We are diving in towards the end of the book, but we will cover all of that in just a second. So let's dive in. Let's dive in with verse one. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. See, you start off with that and be like, I feel like I've missed something that has come before. Like, (laughs) you can't just start with, get your weapons. We got to go to war. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. I've missed something. And, and, And admittedly, we had. 
So let's rewind all the way back to Micah chapter 1. This won't be complicated. Hear, O peoples, all of you. Listen, O earth, and all it contains. Let the Lord God be a witness against you. By the way, just in case you're ever wondering when you're reading Bible, that's never good. That's never a good place to be in. The Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him and the valleys will be, sp- will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. That is also not good. You do not want to be on the other side of that action. You want to be on the God side of this action because that way you're not being destroyed. That's always a good place you want to be. That tenor of Micah continues from chapter 1 through basically chapters 2 and 3. Read the book of Micah. It will do you good. And if you'd like, it's all of seven chapters. You could read it this afternoon while you're waiting on lunch to cool down. So if you would like to have some afternoon reading, read Micah. It will do you good. Chapter 4, though, the tenor of the book switches away from judgment. It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of mountains. All right, time out real quick. Pop quiz. For everyone who's in my Sunday school class this morning, pop quiz, whenever we say in the prophets the last days, what are we typically talking about? Judgment. We're talking about the culmination of all the things, all the promises that have yet to be fulfilled being fulfilled. So typically when you read in your prophets, this is another one of those little you know, tools in your toolbox for helping to understand your Bible. When you are reading about the prophets saying in that day, typically it's one of two things. It's either a day they have already just mentioned typically in that chapter, and usually that is the final day, the culmination of history when all of God's works will be finalized and completed. Make sense? So just make sure we cover that. That's how Mike is using it. In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of mountains. It will, re- it, if I could speak English, it will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So who is God redeeming in that day? All of his people. Continues on at the end of that chapter, which leads into chapter 5. Arise and thresh, daughter of Zion, for your horn I will make iron, and your hoofs I will make bronze, that you may pulverize many peoples, that you may devote to the Lord their unjust gain and their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. So let's just make sure we cover this real quick. Why are we mustering ourselves in troops? Because in the midst of the nations that are being redeemed, streaming to the mountain of God, in the midst of redemption, there is always what? There's always judgment. And in the midst of judgment, there is always redemption. Sin will be dealt with. Either Christ will have borne the penalty or the sinner will bear the penalty. This is just one of the realities of Scripture. There is nowhere in Scripture that you should see the redemption of God and not immediately be reminded that all those who have not repented and put their trust in Christ will be judged. Likewise, there is nowhere you should ever read about judgment in your Bible and remember that all those who will come by faith and put their trust in Christ will be saved from this judgment. They are two sides of the same coin. They should always be part of the reminder. Remember, where do you drive? Do you drive on the sides of the highway? Do you drive in the ditches? Do you drive in the fields? Only if something has gone terribly wrong. You want to drive where? In the middle of the road. So we do not err on the side of there is only grace, there is no judgment, and we do not err on the side of you're all going to hell. We 
ride in the middle of the highway, and we are reminded there is a judgment upon sin, but all those who repent of their sins and put their trust in Christ will be saved. That is where we live each and every day, never forgetting those two ditches exist. Make sense? Okay. So now that you have all of that set aside, will the last day be primarily about, will the last day be primarily about God's people? Think how I worded that. When you read your Bible, who's the person you should be thinking about and reading about? You should be reading about God and his works completed in Christ. So will the final day, the culmination of history, be about God's people? No, they will be about God. So, muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod, they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. Okay, who is this? And I always like to ask that question because typically when you read something like that, I love when I run to the commentaries and they all have the same answer. (laughs) So admittedly, I didn't read a bunch, but I did read through a couple, and I was surprised at how many of them gave this answer. 2 Kings 25. In the ninth year of his reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came. He and all his army against Jerusalem camped against it and built a siege wall all around it. So the city was under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. And it fast, fast forward a little bit. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, then put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon. I was shocked at how many of the commentaries and how many commentators wanted to understand the judge of Israel as the last king before the Babylonian exile. Now, reading your Bible in context, understanding that we are still dealing with the context that comes from chapter 4 that is talking about the last days, who is the judge of Israel? Is it Zedekiah? No, no it is not. And based on where this chapter is going to go and where this book has been, I think we're going to make a pretty convincing case. So who's a better argument for this? Mark 15, they dressed him in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they kept beating his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling and bowing before him. There's the judge of Israel. There's the one who is being smited with a rod on behalf of his people. Always remember this as we go through Christmas. Look, enjoy the music. Enjoy the lights, enjoy the family, enjoy the food. That's legitimately the best part. Can, can we all agree that that is the best part? Like Cameron is already trying to lay out when she's going to bake witch cookies and she's taking requests. <laughs> yeah, I'm treating it like a Casey Kasem call-in show. Requests and dedications for cookies. I'm like, we want this one and we want this one. And, ooh, can we? and she's just writing like, yes. So I need to set my scales back 10 pounds for Thanksgiving. I'm going to need to set them back 15 pounds for Christmas. So all the weight that I have lost this year will be back by January at this rate. (laughs) Enjoy it. But remember, this is about the completed work of Christ. It does not end in a manger. It ends in the earthly ministry at Golgotha, and it ends with the culmination of history in the kingdom of God. This is what you should always have as your perspective, Christian. This is how you keep moving in the world, is that you should not ever just get hung up on where we are, but always remember who in Christ you are and where that means you are going. And we're going to get to more of that as we get through that, but we got to make sure we lay out the context. So one of the reasons why I think this easily applies to Christ is verse 2. As for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, there's a good quick name for you, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Time out, time out. We got to stop right there. I love this reminder. Who's ready for Bible pop quiz time? Are right, you ready? This is, this is always half the fun, right? 
This is not a new theme in Scripture. When you see too little to be exalted or too little to be counted, God lifting up the lowly, as James would put it. All right, Adam, firstborn son of Adam. What's his name? It's Cain. Who's the promise followed through? Seth. Abraham, firstborn son of Abraham. Ishmael, but the child of promise is Isaac. Firstborn son of Isaac. Esau, but the promise is given through Jacob. Firstborn son of Jacob. Reuben. (laughs) Cameron's, yes, I got one. His only birthright is he gets a great sandwich named after him, but (laughs) you thought it, I said it, that's all. But you all thought it. Okay. (laughs) The kingdom doesn't come through Reuben. The kingdom comes through Judah. Firstborn son of Judah. This is the hard one. It is not Perez, it is Ur. Perez is not the first one. Remember, Ur is wicked and he is killed. Perez is the son that is born through the relationship with Judah's daughter-in-law. Here's where it gets real fun. Nobody will even know who this is. I'll give you bonus points if you know who this is before you can tell me who his firstborn son is. Amram. It is Moses' dad. Now, who's the firstborn son? Aaron. Aaron is the firstborn, and yet the deliverance and the prophet comes through the second son. Firstborn son of Jesse. (laughs) Eliab. And yet the kingdom comes through David. Firstborn son of David. (laughs) No. Amnon. Absalom kills him because he rapes the sister. And then you get Absalom, and then you get, I think there's even another one, and then you eventually get to Solomon. The line is followed through Solomon. Now, why? This is a recurring theme in Scripture. If you were following along the course and the pattern of the world, you would expect the exalted one, the firstborn, somewhere in this line, you'd pick out a firstborn almost by accident, wouldn't you? I think Paul helps explain it, Romans 9. Not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Who accomplishes redemption, Christian? God. Who brings about the fulfillment of the promises? It is God. Who is the only hope for this place? It is God. You cannot put your trust and hope in anything or anyone that is here. Your trust must be placed in God and God alone in the completed works of Christ. Again, either you will bear the penalty for sin or Christ will bear it on your behalf. Those are your only options. I just love whenever stuff like that is popped up because it gives you a history lesson. This is why understanding your Bible in context is so vital, is you don't just see little pockets of things, but you can be reminded that there is an overarching history. Ooh, we haven't done this in a while. Remember, we have two timelines, right? We have real people doing real things in real places. So Moses is, you know, living in Egypt. Moses is going out into the wilderness. Moses is coming back. But while all of that is going on, God is accomplishing the building up of his kingdom. And he is interjecting himself into the timeline. He is working amongst his people to accomplish the building up of that kingdom. So you always have to think of these things in two ways. Yes, it's a simple little thing. Bethlehem's not highly regarded. Why does that matter? 
because it is God who raises up the lowly. It is God who exalts the humble. It is the exalted man, the proud man, who is trusting in himself, in his riches, and in his power, who needs to be humbled before the mighty hand of God. This is the reminder that it is God whom we worship and we praise, not anything else. So, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. It's one of the promises people have been waiting for, a king from the line of David who will rule. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? How, I mean, notice how I say this. How many people can match that resume? That their goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Yeah, there's a big goose egg on that one, isn't it? It's one of the reasons why I don't give Zedekiah any credit or any other king of Israel that has been in the line up until the book of Micah any credit. We are moving this forward. Who must accomplish on behalf of Israel? God. Who must accomplish on behalf of his people? God. That means who's this guy got to be? It's got to be God. This is why Paul can explain. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This matters. Christ does not just show up one day and be like, Hey guys, you should follow me. I'm going to do some awesome stuff, and I'm a really good teacher. Always remember, whenever they give you that spiel, because this is one of the times of the year. I always warn you about the two times of the year, right? There's Christmas, and the other one is around Easter time. It is officially here. If you watch the National Geographic Channel, or you watch the History Channel, or there's going to be some sort of documentary or thing where they, they found the tomb, or they found the siblings, or there was this stone that said Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene. Why is it always Mary Magdalene, by the way? Like, what, what made her so special? She gets, like, eight verses in the New Testament, and apparently, like, all the apocryphal... It's Dan Brown's fault. That's right. I keep forgetting that. They had a bad Tom Hanks movie. Well, actually, one good Tom Hanks movie and one bad Tom Hanks movie, but there you go. <laughs> Sorry, if you've, if you've not read the, the Da Vinci Code stuff, please don't. It's literally completely all made up. But anyway, that has nothing to do with anything else. But this is the time of year they're going to give you that stuff because this is the time of year people are thinking about it. And the first one they're going to go to is that dude who sits in the corner and goes, well, you know, Jesus's moral teachings were very good and helpful for humanity, but the claim to his deity is just ridiculous. Well, if I claim to be God and I'm not, what else should you listen to me about? <laughs> just out of morbid curiosity. Like if I claim to be God and I'm not, where should you put me? Isn't that why we have those nice jackets with the buttons in the back? You know, they got the really long sleeves, you know, and the dudes with the nets, or is that only in Bugs Bunny cartoons that they actually have the nets? You may be really disappointed if they don't have the big nets now. Because <laughs> that's just part of the mental image for me. And if it's not for you, well, you're welcome, because it now is. <laughs> you're picturing it too, aren't you? <laughs> Bringing you before the bald doctor with the one little weird reflector light on his head, you know? <laughs> See, you are welcome. Merry Christmas. See, I, I, I'm, I'm a giver. <laughs> but no, the deity of Christ is of utmost importance because if he is not God in flesh, if he cannot prove it by the works, oh, for legitimate homework, read John 5. Read John 5 for legitimate homework. This is part of Jesus' entire argument in John 5. If you don't believe because of the works, then believe because of the testimony of the Scripture. Believe because of the testimony of the Father. Believe because of the testimony of John the Baptist. In other words, every time you turn around, Jesus is not only claiming to be God, but he is 
proving it that matters because if he can't do that if he is not God in flesh one you have no representative two he can't fulfill this see the promise to David was there would be a son from his line that would rule forever Solomon died Zedekiah died Hosea died Josiah died I said Hosea I meant Hezekiah I'm sorry got my prophets and my kings confused. But Hezekiah died. They all died. This is part of the argument that Peter makes when talking about David, that he's died and he buried and we know where his tomb is. But Jesus got out of the grave, that he rules and he reigns eternally. This promise matters because this is the thing that points you forward. This is the hope of Christmas. This is what the people have been longing for from the very beginning, is that we need God to move. You've given us David, and you've given us Elijah, and you've given us Elisha, and you've given us Isaiah, and you know where we are? We're lost in our sins. And we're dead in our trespasses, and we're offering lambs and goats and the blood of bulls and calves every year, and the incense goes up, and the temple was destroyed, and none of this seems to matter because we can't make this work. We can't overcome. And that's been the entire point is that you cannot. You need the work of God. You need the accomplished, completed works of Christ. That's one of the things the psalmist told you about. Psalm 2. Kings of the earth show discernment. Take warning, judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. But how blessed are all who take refuge in him. So, with that understanding in mind, verse 3. Therefore, see, you have to catch all of that because otherwise you get lost in the therefore. So because of all of that, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. That's part of the promise later on. Let's actually go to one of the Christmas passages in Luke 1. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. It's always a good response when the angel shows up. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine nor liquor, nor will be, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. It is he who will go, I'm sorry, he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That doesn't come out of thin air. That comes straight from Micah. That comes from the work that God is accomplishing from the very beginning. So we continue. He will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. That's been the hope of humanity from the very beginning. I mean, follow, again, okay, so we let's see, John 5. Ooh, this will be easy for you guys to remember. John 5, Genesis 5. See, everything's in fives today. <laughs> you can skim Genesis 5. It's a genealogy. It takes you from Seth to Noah. And what you'll notice is the years go by, and you know what the constant refrain of, the, of Genesis 5 is? We've done this before for Christmas. I'm just not that mean to make it do you again. But the one repeated word, you know, a repeated phrase you'll keep hearing is, and he died. 
and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And you get to Noah, whose name means rest, and what's the hope? Maybe this one, maybe this is the son, maybe this is the fulfillment, the seed of the woman who will take away sin and its offspring. Maybe he's the one in whom we have rest, is he? No, because he doesn't meet all the criteria. He cannot answer. But this is what humanity has been longing for since that time. Adam and Eve rejoice. Why were they so happy when Cain shows up? Because they're looking for a son. What do they got? A son. Oops. <laughs> That's why they're happy after Cain is sent into exile and Abel has been murdered. What do they rejoice at? Seth. There's a replacement. There is another God has not forsaken us. God has not forgotten us. The hope is still there because the promise is still laid up in the power of God. Ezekiel 34. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the streams, and in all the inhabited places of the land. As you live in a world, Christian, where is your hope? As you see sin around you, what is your longing? This is the attitude that we have to remember as we go through this life, is we are not longing for the things of this earth, but we should be longing for the things of God. We should not be trusting in the things that are around us, but we should be trusting in his care and provision, the completed work. So let's continue. Uh, lost my spot. He will rise, shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. See, why couldn't David redeem the people? Why couldn't Solomon hold the kingdom together? Why couldn't Rehoboam listen to advice for one stinking minute that would have made sense? Why does Ahab have to be the way that he is? Why can't the good kings, why can't Jehoshaphat tear down the high places? Why does he tolerate idolatry? Why can't Hezekiah and Josiah's reforms take hold? Ooh, look, we found the book of the law. Yay, go team. Why does this not take root? Why when the exiles return from... Uh, from um, from exile. Why can't I think of words in English? <laughs> why, can't they, why can't they build a temple in sooner, any sooner than a generation? Why, once a temple has been rebuilt, can't the people keep from going astray? Whose power have they rested in? Whose work have they trusted in? This is the temptation of the world, is to know that God will handle that eternity business, but we've got things to do now. Well, the things you have to do now, do you know whose spirit you need? His. The things you have to deal with now, do you know whose strength you need? Do you know whose encouragement you need? Do you know whose redemption you need? You have no power. The power you think you have is a lie. It is more of the world just trying to dole out false promises so they can stand there and go, gotcha. Instead, you must resist. Firm in the faith knowing that it is Christ who redeems, knowing that it is Christ who builds. Luke 1, the greatness here. The angel said to her, this is talking to Mary, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's good news. That's fulfillment. 
That's the seed of the woman coming to fruition. And by the way, that's the promise you're still longing for, Christian. You're still living in hope. Fast forward to the end of the book, Revelation 21. I saw no temple in it. This is the new Jerusalem coming down. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and, the, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there. I always love that's a little parenthesis there. Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is where you stand, Christian, longing for that day. Now, Let's ask a really fun question. You always like the fun questions, right? How much of the world encourages you in that direction? (laughs) How much of the world would like to help you move in that direction? Yeah. This is, again, why perspective is so important. This is... I will hammer this as long as God has given me breath because this is the number one problem we face day in and day out. The lie is that the number one problem you face is what they are doing. What they are accomplishing, what they are building, what they are constructing, how they are running the world. At the end of the day, how do pagans live? Like pagans. What do sinners do? Unredeemed. (laughs) What do redeemed sinners do, unfortunately, too often? (laughs) When we focus on what they're building, when we focus on tearing down the the structures and the systems and all of the things, we've missed it. Christian, your battle is first and foremost where? Your first ministry is at home, and that starts with who? You. You. Your heart, your mind, and how you live. Now, once you have addressed those things, that's seeing the, the, the log that is in your eye. Now look at the speck. Now, do you have a spouse? Do you have a sibling? Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? Do you have parents? Do you have nieces and nephews? Now work out on the people that you love and claim to love you. I haven't been to your holiday gathering, so I assume nothing. (laughs) But always remember, always remember the rules of holiday gatherings. Every family has that one person that no one wants to see at the holiday gathering. And I'm going to give you the worst news of the day. If you don't know who that is in your family, it's because it's you, okay? Just, just so you know. <laughs> just, it's okay. We still love you. <laughs> We're required by Jesus. We have to. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but every family, you, you, you know exactly who I'm talking about. As soon as I said, there's like that one cousin at the family gathering, you immediately saw their face. And you were like, Nah. See, for Cameron's family, I know who they are because they're loud. They're those people that they're in the kitchen, and the kitchen is like eight by ten. But they talk to you like this, even though they're four feet away from you, and it's like. And that's why I don't worry about having family gatherings with Cameron's family if I don't have to. <laughs> it's the one advantage of living a thousand miles away. Go team. <laughs> she can call, and I can be in the other room, and still here. <sighs> Sorry. There you go. There you go. Hang on. I'm getting choked up on myself here. That's your next influence. Deal with self. Deal with people. Then, then, as you live in the world, shine the light. Be like that dude on Instagram who's sprinkling the salt on everything, you know? 
On every avenue of life, you shine light. This is again why I say Christianity should influence everything. It should influence how you vote. And when people ask you how you vote, don't do the American thing. Well, you know, that's a personal decision. No, here's how I voted. Here's why, because this is what my Christianity informed me. This is why I made the decisions that I made, and this is the influence. And if you disagree with me, you know what we can then do? We can fight about it, like Americans, because that's what we do about everything. (laughs) I wish I was kidding. But Christian, this is the conversation you want, isn't it? Don't you want to be able to bring the gospel to bear on every avenue of life? Well, that doesn't happen unless you first bring the gospel to bear on every avenue of your life. Like, why do you work the way that you do? Why do you not work the way that you don't work? Why do you talk to people the way that you talk to them? Why do you vote the way that you vote? Why do you shop the way that you shop? Why do you go to this store and not go to that store? There should be gospel reasons behind these things that you can bring to bear on conversations. This is part of living in the world while living for Christ, is knowing that no matter what is built out there, no matter what they demand, I have an anchor, and the anchor always holds. And by the way, it's not just me that says that. Micah says that too, verse 5. This one will be our peace. Yes! And by the way, that's both reality and fulfillment. Um, The Christmas verse everybody likes to read, Isaiah 9. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Christian, you don't have peace with the world. And you shouldn't want it. You shouldn't want it. Let's just say, okay, you ready? This will be fun. All right, let's just say the two sides of this room are your own countries. This, this is hypothetical. So you're one country, your country A, and your country B, just because I picked them first. It doesn't, doesn't make you lesser. Just don't, don't, don't get a complex. So now, country A. Country B wants to live in peace with you. You okay with that? Good. All right, what about when country B wants to kill all of you? Would you like to be at peace with them? See, you want to be at peace, but they're not going to let you be at peace. What is required of you now? They're going to kill all of you. Unless you do what? Unless you fight back. You have to. This is the thing we don't always understand about the world. We want to have peace in the world. We don't have peace with the world, though. They're an enemy. They hate the Savior. They hate the things that he stands for. They are building structures and systems that are anti-Christ. You don't have peace with them. You have peace in the midst of them because you have peace with God. Your sins are forgiven because of the work of Christ. The enmity has been taken away. You stand righteous before the throne. Therefore, the biggest worry you would ever have in this life is judgment from God. Like the neighbors could be mad at me or God could judge me. Which one's worse? Just out of morbid curiosity. (laughs) Too often we live like what though? (laughs) The neighbors might say something. I don't care. (laughs) What does God think? You have peace with God. There is enmity against sin. Now again, Christian, what are the weapons of your warfare? 
And what are your communication means? You have prayer, you have communion with the saints, you have encouragement, you have strengthened the numbers of the people of God. That's one of the reasons why those trivia questions are so important and getting those right. Understanding that it is not good to be alone in a sinful world. The temptation, the struggles, you aren't Jesus. I know, biggest newsflash of the day, you're not God in flesh. Okay, now that we've gotten that dis- disappointment out of the way. Therefore, do you want to go out into the wilderness by yourself to overcome temptation? No, I want to phone a friend. I want to be able to poll the audience. I, why am I making those references? What, what is the name of that game show even? Who wants to be a millionaire? Oh, all I can see is Regis Philbin's face. There's, a, there's an image on a Sunday morning. Regis sitting there. But don't you want every lifeline imaginable when you are confronted with your sins and the temptations that they bring? Because I do. I want to be able to call a fellow Christian and go, hey, I'm fighting and I'm struggling. What you got for me? Ooh, here's some advice. Here's some scriptures to read. Here's some practical things that you can do. Awesome. I want to be able to go to church and sing songs that praise God because I looked at it the world and went, eh, they forgot him this week again. Big shock. I want to be able to be encouraged and uplifted and be strengthened and study the word and be able to pray. I want all of those things. That's why it matters that you are part of a communion because, again, you have peace not with the world, but you have peace in the world because you have peace with God. Micah 4 gives you the, gave you the same reminder. He will judge between many peoples, render decisions for mighty distant nations. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken, though all the peoples walk, each in the name of his God. As for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And always remember, chapter 4 of Micah started with what? In the last day. Christian, I long for that too, for the wars to cease, for sin to be done away with, for people to walk hand in hand, for the nations to stream to the mountain of God. But I live in reality. If I wanted to go home this afternoon and put on my bathing suit and swim in the pool out back, not that there's a pool out back, but just humor me. How's that going to end for me? Probably not well. Why? Because my idiot self is warring against reality. I can want to go swim at the beach all I want. It's 35 degrees outside. Not a good plan. I need to live in the world the way that it is, not the way that I wished it would be. In Christian, this is what it means to be innocent as doves and shrewd and wise as serpents, is to go out hoping for the best, but understanding that the worst is always a possibility in this place and recognize that it is Christ where my peace is laid. It is Christ where my hope is found and it is his eternal kingdom where all of those things will be fully realized. In the meantime, I'm careful. In the meantime, I shine light. I sprinkle salt, but I recognize that I need God's wisdom, God's power, and God's accomplishment if anything is going to get done in this place. And as an example, Micah continues. When the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples on our citadels, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. Always remember, when it comes to the Old Testament, there's not a bigger boogeyman than the Assyrians. Like, when you walked up to Nineveh, do you know what you were confronted with? Towers. Do you know what the towers were made out of? Just out of curiosity. Anybody want to take a guess? No, they were not marble skulls. That's what guarded the gates to their city. Where'd they get the skulls? Because I don't know about you, but I'm kind of partial to mine, and I don't give it up willingly. (laughs) 
<laughs> they went to Hobby Lobby. They didn't make Hobby Lobby yet. <laughs> no, because you can't get skulls at Hobby Lobby, because when you think around October 10th that I would like to go get a Halloween decoration, the Christmas stuff is already out. You have to buy the Halloween decorations in July. <laughs> and I wish I was kidding. <laughs> That's why we have to make tombstones for Halloween, because we don't think about it until the month before. And by that point, there's only Christmas decorations yet. And you laugh. Right around the time you want to buy your Christmas decorations in the third week of December, the Valentine's stuff will be out. You think I'm kidding. Pay attention. It's an evil plot, I'm telling you. It's one of the effects of the fall. <laughs> Is that nobody can get the, the decorations out for the right season. No. They killed people in battle, and they tormented and tortured them in terrible ways. That's why Jonah doesn't want to go save them. He doesn't want them saved. He wants them judged. And he wants them judged quickly and harshly and now. I'd say nowly, but that's not a word, and that would just, but it does kind of ruin the, the function there. The Assyrians are the great boogeyman. To say the Assyrians will come into our land is to be warned of death and destruction and calamity and lament. And yet Micah says what? We'll have peace. This is the psalmist. What's on the back of every bulletin or little folder that's been given out by every funeral home you've ever attended? <laughs> and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Is that a good time to have dinner? Like when the people who want to kill you have assembled for battle, is that a good time to like lay out the nice china? You know, the stuff you're not allowed to eat off of except for special occasions. And to use the glasses that sit in the cabinet. And yes, my mother-in-law has those. And no, we're not allowed to use them ever. <laughs> we get the paper plates. <laughs> is that the time to have that meal? It's like the most aggravating part of one of my favorite Christmas movies. In Home Alone, he never gets to eat the mac and cheese. Why doesn't he ever get to eat the mac and cheese? Because the enemies are outside and there's things to do. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Micah's saying the exact same thing. Assyrians are coming. No panic. We have peace. They will shepherd, and by the way, the, sh the shepherds and the leaders of men, they will shepherd the land of Assyria, verse 6, with the sword, the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he will deliver us from the Assyrian when he attacks our land and when he tramples our, con our territory. Because that one from Bethlehem, the one whose goings are from eternity, who will rule forever and reign over the house of David, he has conquered. Christian, remember that part, please, because that's the thing that enables all the stuff we've talked about up until this point this morning. That's what enables you to have that peace. That's what enables you to have that perspective is the recognition that Jesus won. He, he, he won. The, the, the battle has been decided. I've told you before, there's a, there's a comedian who, who will remain nameless who got, got himself in trouble. It's, it's one of his bits, but it's, it's still, it's, it's poignant and funny at the same time. Because he went to see the Passion of the Christ, and he wasn't crying at the end. And all his aunts and grandmother and mother were all mad at him because they're all crying. And they're like, why aren't you sad? They killed Jesus. And he's like, because I read the end of the book. He comes back. <laughs> it's a silly example, but Christian comes back. He got out of the tomb. He's ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he comes back. They're defeated. They're conquered. You win. 
Though melting like wax in the mountains falling into the sea, you don't face that. We talked about this a little bit last week. When the kings of the earth are facing the wrath of the Lamb, which is unintentional humor to me of the highest order, because I always love that part of Revelation 6, because no one on the planet has ever looked at a lamb and go, oh no, he's going to kill us. But in Revelation 6, the wrath of the Lamb has been kindled and the nations are terrified. Who can stand? And that's where the the interlude in heaven comes in. Those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They stand. They don't face the wrath. They don't face the judgment. Though they die, they live. Colossians chapter 2. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. But wait, there's more. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. In the hymn is Christ. This is why, Christian, you can have peace in the world, even though you do not have peace with the world. Because they're defeated. You're talking to a defeated enemy. See, if I put you in the DeLorean and I rewound you to like 1990, and I said the name Saddam Hussein, Everybody went, ooh, scary guy. He's got those Scud missiles and he's going to launch them and he'll gas the people. When you fast forward that to like 2004 and the video of CNN of them pulling him out of the little hole in the ground and he's got like the beard that looks like it hasn't been brushed in a year and he's basically sitting in the corner waiting for his execution. Was he scary anymore? Why not? Because they're parading the defeated enemy before the people. That's the world, Christian. They have arrayed themselves against Christ at battle. How does that battle go again in Revelation? How many verses? <laughs> it's like one. The armies of evil are arrayed against. That's why I've never been able to figure out why are there so many books written about that battle? Like, how do you write a book on one verse where like, and Jesus says, die, and they all die. <laughs> like, that's the end. He wins. They are defeated. You enter into the world against a defeated foe. You stand victorious. There is nothing that they can do that can change that. Live accordingly. Hebrews 10. Every priest stands daily ministering, offering time after time the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But he, talking about Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. That's one of those overlooked things about the book of Exodus. All the furniture in the tabernacle. What's not there? What's the one piece of furniture you would want? A chair. Doesn't exist because what's the priest got to do? He's got work to do. You're there for a reason. What does Jesus get to do? I mean, let's be honest. Have you ever worked an entire day? What's the best feeling on the planet? <laughs> when you can go home and... <sighs> Jesus sat down, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. They are defeated because it is finished. Christian. This is the hope of Christmas as we live in it now, is we can look back and see the accomplishments of that birth. We can look back and see the fruits of the work of God, and we can look forward knowing that he has won, so that we live in a world that is hostile. We live in a world that is sinful, and yet we do not lose hope. We do not lose heart. We do not grow weary because he has overcome. And anytime you forget that, oh, look, 
There's a fellowship of believers to remind you. Oh, look, there's a Bible to point you in the direction of who he is and what he has done. Oh, look, there is prayer where I can be strengthened and I can bring my concerns before the Father. Oh, look, there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to carry me forward and to bring encouragement. There is the work of God. Not just that there has been, but there is. Therefore, we can trust that there will be because he has forgotten none of his promises and forsaken none of his work. Therefore, we can live and move knowing that our focus upon him is the right focus, that our trust upon him is the right trust, and the peace that we have in him is an enduring and abiding peace. Let's pray.